Welcome to the Behind the Glass podcast, where we are face-to-face discussing biblical topics that are relevant today. Join us for interviews, discussions, and musings that will bring laughter and enlightenment. For now, all you have to do is sit back, relax, and step behind the glass. Scripture says in Isaiah 59 and 19 that when the enemy comes in like a flood that the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. I know that last week we issued some challenges in the Holy Ghost. I know that there's been some battling that's been going on this week. I know that for a fact because I know people that have been battling and I've been battling as well. Because the enemy would like to push back right in our face where we've established that we're going. But I'm telling somebody right now before we even get to the preaching of the word of God. That the answer to your dilemma is not to back up. It's not to shut up. It's not to quit and walk away. But the answer to your issue, my friend, is to get in the spirit of God. And let the spirit of God have its way in your life. Because when the Spirit of the Lord comes in, like a, the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Well, Isaiah, when you hear something like that, you just kind of get a little excited about church. Amen. Amen. That's an introduction to today's podcast. Of course, last episode, we went over an introduction to apostolic church history. And today we're continuing on that thread. And the reason for that clip being played at the beginning is today we also have Pastor Starr along with us. So we're excited about that. He's a man who needs no introduction, but as custom is, we'll still give an introduction. He's been pastor here in Minot for around 10 years. Before that, he pastored on the West Coast for many years and has been in the ministry for even longer. Everybody in our church calls him pastor, I call him dad, and I'm pretty excited to have him on the episode today. So, quickly, we'll go over a little bit of what we discussed last week. Last week, we had an introduction to uh, the apostolic church history. We started out with Peter in Matthew 16, where it was established that upon Peter, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's a key statement that will probably revisit in today's episode, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church no matter the time period. And so then we went to the beginning of the book of Acts. In the beginning of the book of Acts, we read stuff in chapter one such as, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So we know that there is going to be the Holy Ghost. And then Acts chapter two, the Holy Ghost was poured out. And wouldn't you know it, Peter was there on the day of Pentecost preaching the Acts 2.38 message that is still being preached today. And then we saw throughout the book of Acts that those conversions that happened were all followed the same outline, same methods, that there was a Holy Ghost, that there was water baptism in Jesus' name. And so today our discussion is going to transfer a little bit from what we see in the Bible to what we described as the Dark Ages last time um, from around AD 100 to present day of what happened. Did the church die? Is this message that we have today, is it the same message? And um, I think it really all goes back to Peter. Um, Peter said, 
or it was said of Peter that upon this rock I'll build my church. And when you look at Peter, he never went to Rome. He was a Jew. If he went to Rome, he would have died. And I think that's a really important note as we look at some of the other religions that were formed and other other doctrines that were preached. So Isaiah, if you want to go ahead and just introduce today's theme. Sure, Jonathan. Um, One thing I want to mention is we find in Acts 14, 16 through 18, that it says, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. So he's always had a church. He's always had witnesses of the truth. The disciples were described as those that had been with Jesus. So we know that the church has not changed, and this is so through the dark ages, although some of the knowledge and information about the church is hard to discover. It is still there, and there's been some wonderful theologians that have been able to dig it up, and uh, through research, they've been able to find some important things. So today, as you said, we are going to be diving into some of the more mysterious uh, times in the past, such as the Dark Ages, and uh, Pastor Starr, I'm sure, will give some wonderful insight about it, and we're excited for it. Uh, Pastor Starr, welcome to the program. Thank you, Isaiah. I appreciate the opportunity to be on and appreciate what you guys are doing for the kingdom of God and excited about that aspect. I also am very uh, supportive of the subject matter, the concept that the church could cease to exist at any given point in time is so contrary to Scripture. You've mentioned Peter. It was Peter's revelation that is the rock that the church would be built on. And the rock was the understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. Uh, It was very clear in Jesus, even as he taught, uh, unless you say that I am he, he said, uh, you, you won't have eternal life. There has to be a revelation, and that revelation doesn't cease to exist at any particular stint of the church. Uh, so as you look at the, the, the dark ages or at any period of time, you have to first filter it through biblical principle. You, you've referenced previously, his truth endureth to all generations. That's in Psalm 105, Psalm 117.2. If the church ceases to exist at any particular generation then God's word isn't true. And we know that God's word is true. So really, what we deal with then is a, a, a conflict between a Reformation theology concept, which means that the church nosedived into apostasy, and then slowly, because of Martin Luther and his 95 theses in Wittenberg, Germany in the 1500s, it begins to come out of, of that, and then systematically, revelation after revelation is restored. Well, the problem with that is that these generations are going to rise up who supposedly had no witness, and, and how are they going to be able to deal with the judgment of God on their lives? When we know the Bible says it endures. So, as you said, there are places, and you do have to search. The problem is this. In many cases, the church was so hostile, uh, and I say the church, I mean the 
the political church of the day was so hostile against truth that they killed the preachers. One example of that, which technically moves more into what is known as a refor- historically as a Reformation period, is Michael Servetus, who was burned at the stake by John Calvin because of their theological differences. And the burning of the books and the writings. So the only thing you have to go by are the writings of those that were in opposition to the truth. So you don't get a, a true perspective. But it's through those kinds of, of resources that you can find that. But the bottom line is that we have to understand God's truth endures. Even today, if history were to freeze frame, the oneness movement today, which is probably, well, it's larger right now as far as theologically, the oneness teaching. It's larger right now in the world, its footprint in the world today than it was, well, it has been at really any period of time and definitely in my lifetime. But even today, if you were to freeze frame it and you were to, to try to research, much of the world does not know about it because of the hostility, the opposition to what we teach. So it's, that's a huge part of why the dark ages are dark. Absolutely. You can see that the hostility throughout really every period of time, even more than what we probably realize today. Um, I think an interesting verse to look at is 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1-3, and I'll read it. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. In some of the sources that we'll reference at the end of this uh, episode, we find through their research that a lot of these people that started forming after uh, the apostles had died um, believed in many things that this verse says that uh, those in hypocrisy would. They forbid forbidden to marry. They commanded to abstain from meats and things like that. And I think that's a really interesting thing as you look at uh, some of these so-called leaders or whatever you want to refer to them as in, in those ages. Yeah, Jonathan, in connection with that verse, another verse that I look at is in 1 John chapter 2. In verse 18 it says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. And here he makes a very important statement. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. So here we have a precedent of a continuation of the apostles' doctrine, a continuation of Book of Acts theology. And here he says, and he concludes, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So at that time, there were wolves in sheep's clothing, so to speak, within the church, within the true church, and nothing has really changed. For today, we have 
that same concept. And eventually they do, they do become manifest because they don't preach the same doctrine. Acts 2.38, separation from the world and holiness unto God. And um, so it's very interesting. You see that both uh, when Paul's writing to Timothy, also by uh, the Apostle John. And one thing I was going to ask, Pastor, is, you know, as in your ministry as, as you've lived for God and as you've ministered and pastored, what have you found to be kind of the cursors of what would lead someone astray from from this truth? I mean, it seems such a, a, a devastation, and I'm sure the Apostle John felt the same thing. These were once brothers, and they, they left. It's a sad thing. Well, I think the same pressures in the world today were in existence in the day of the church. You guys have referenced verses that come what I would say toward the latter end of the New Testament canon. Uh, I would group with that verses like Jude, who was one of the, the latter writers, who says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the, of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then he goes on from there. That sets the context for certain men creeping in unawares, and he talks about them leading the church astray. This is the latter end of the New Testament. And I think in, in answer to your question, one of the greatest, there's some of the greatest pressures that I see in our world today that's different than when I was young. Er. I'll consider myself to still be young. I put that er on the end of it. Um, is peer pressure a desire for validity? And when I say validity, it's, a pressure to constrain ourselves to be acceptable by those that are considered to be um, intellectual or those who are considered to be the, the major players in Christianity. When I grew up, it didn't matter what anybody thought. You just wanted to follow the scripture. Today, there's a tendency to say, well... Maybe we can deviate a little bit in the interest of legitimacy. And, and so I see uh, people sliding off because uh, they do not want to stand for something that's unpopular. They would rather be accepted. And so when you begin to open up to peer pressure, it begins to shape your doctrine. So I think that's a major reason why we're seeing the change today. We live in a, though, a lot a huge, vast difference, a lot similar culture to the New Testament in that there's an intense pressure for knowledge in the world that we live in right now. And uh, through Hellenization and things like that, there was the same kind of culture being created in that time period. And to kind of touch on a little bit of what you were saying, you have this Greek mentality that's being pushed, and even the apostles get called unlearned and ignorant men. Not, I mean, Peter was one of those people, he wrote books in the Bible. It's not that he was dumb, it's that he didn't have the Greek education that everybody around him had, and so they would not respect him. So you have people that have what we would now call degrees and stuff like that, such as maybe even Tertullian, um, in that day and age, having way more credibility than what they should have ever had because of the credibility that was put on knowledge, and that's something that we fight today, and I think that's a uh, good transition to talk about maybe a little bit about Tertullian Isaiah. 
Well, exactly. Um, Tertullian, for those who don't know of him, um, he was very much a philosopher. Um, he's given credit as being a theologian, specifically a man who developed the Trinity concept, not that it was a new concept, because Trinitarianism is paganism. However, it was basically wrapped in a different package and presented in such a way that appealed to both pagans and so-called Christians. And that's what you find with Constantine and what he did uh, early on. Tertullian wrote a book. It's called Tertullian Against Praxius. This book is one that propagates the Trinity. And what he does is he takes various philosophical concepts from Plato's book, Timaeus. It, it's an incredible work, and it's something that has become so influential uh, in the realm of Christian theology. Trinitarians often use this as a reference point to speak for the Trinity, to support it. But it's not biblical. As you read through the book, he uses concepts. Um, and one of those, uh, of course, is that the Godhead, or that God, consists of three separate individual persons or beings. That isn't biblical. We know that there's one body that was shed on the cross, and Jesus Christ is that one person. So various concepts such as that have caused a lot of confusion. And, you know, we just have to be very careful when we begin to teach theology that we don't draw upon man's ideas. One thing that's troubled me is to think that people such as Calvin, John Calvin, or Martin Luther could somehow restore a church. When we know a church was created and begotten of God, something so pure and holy and powerful, how could man possibly restore something that God's created? And, Pastor, maybe you have some insight on the Trinity concept and uh, maybe some of, of how it originated or maybe where it came from, other than, of course, these philosophers. Yes, I think it's very, very critical. See, at the heart of, of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, you have to have a revelation of the identity of who he was. If you don't have that, then, and, and you get that foundation off, your whole building's going to be off. So first of all, I think the reason there's such a huge issue is because it's Satan's job to try and destroy our understanding of who God is. People say it's semantics, but when you talk about the difference between three persons in the Godhead, and we'll pick up a term that was used way back when, three modes, uh, and to say those, that is semantics is really intellectually dishonest. And the reason why that it's the Trinitarian viewpoint there's problems is that when you get into three persons, you have to deal with things like 
How do you deal with subordination? Which means that if you have three, one's a father, one's a son, and one's the Holy Ghost, somebody is subordinate to the other. And that has been a problem since the beginning, of, since Trinitarianism started. And by the way, it was a Trinity at the beginning, not a Trinity. The, the beginning was the issue of the identity of the Father and the Son. The Holy Ghost was never an issue until they had to, further along as they were developing the, the theory of the Trinity. But it came out of the pagan schools of philosophy that were then tried to be synthesized with biblical uh, apostolic teaching and they don't mix and that's one thing that, that we're still struggling with today so is is garnering the the local education or the uh, should say the current educational trend into your theology is that progressive or regressive today they would say it's progressive i say it's regressive if it's not of the Word of God. So the problem with the Trinity, why? Well, there's subordination. That's a problem. There's a problem with who actually purchased our salvation. Is it the Father vicariously looking down and, and suffering? Or is it the one that, that died on the tree? I would say the one that on the tree was the Father who came in flesh. And I think there's, you know, we can go into theology, which is not the subject of the podcast. And, and, and that's why we're baptized in his name. That's why we cast out devils in his name. That's why we, whatsoever the Bible says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So it, the, the next thing, subordination, the next thing after that would be authority. If you don't understand who Jesus Christ is, and, you don't, and you're caught up in the Trinity, you lose the authority of what he is, well, then it affects your ability to, to really have spiritual authority and power. Uh, the, the third thing I would just say, the problem with theology of, of the Trinity, uh, when, you, when you get in all of it, is that it's, it's so, um, the pattern is so much in keeping with the other pagan deities and concepts of the day when it was formulated that is obvious the roots it came out of. And anything that comes out of the wrong foundation or roots is going to be a, a bitter fruit down the road. And uh, so we have to keep it pure. But I, I don't know if that's clear as mud or what. I think it's clear enough. Um, in Romans, I believe it's in chapter 10, um, verse 4. 14, I'm going to read probably a little more, a couple more verses than I want to. How then shall they call on, in, on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Um, this is Paul writing, most likely, in the book of Romans, uh, in Romans chapter 10. And I think it's an interesting point to bring up is that the Bible says, which is God's word, that how shall they hear without a preacher? And basically, the basis of some is that the apostolic doctrine was completely destroyed for a time period. Whatever that time period is, research it out. Um, but if God's word says, how shall they hear without a preacher? Then in every dispensation of time, every uh, period of time, there had to be a preacher in order for God's word to be brought forth. And I think this is uh, something that I kind of want to discuss is from the apostolic side of things, from our side of things. Um, in Marvin Arnold's book, um, 
there's a quote that I wrote down uh, from his apostolic history outline, which will be uh, linked to in the uh, show notes. He said, further, it can now be stated that the Topeka and Azusa Holy Ghost outpourings, these, this is stuff that we uh, discussed a little bit la- in last week's episode, they were not total innovations. Instead, that there had been hundreds of others in every century since Pentecost similar to them. So while the Christian history had been deliberately destroyed by religious leaders of different time periods due to uh, numerous reasons, I'm sure, there had always been a, a church, B, there had to be a preacher, as, in, as showed in Romans chapter 10, that was preaching the gospel in order for his word to be brought forth. So what I kind of want to transition to, we've talked about the other side of the fence from a theology and a doctrine standpoint of Tertullian um, and things in that matter. I also want to talk about maybe a few of the call them apostolic fathers. Um, they're not apostles, um, but people that uh, followed um, the apostles after the book of Acts. Um, Isaiah, if you want to introduce a couple of those, I have a few written down here, but if you want to introduce a couple, if you have a couple of those. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And so many people rightfully will ask, well, who were <laughs> the oneness apostolics then? And in the early times, the first um, few centuries after the apostles lived and then through the dark ages. And there's a couple names that we can reference. There's not a whole lot known about them, but we do know of a man named Montanus, and there is a movement at the time. They now call it Montanism, and he denied the Trinity. Also, Sabellus is another man who denied the Trinity. It's interesting Around 400 A.D., we have a well-known theologian um, that if I mention his name, St. Augustine, most people would know who he is. Interestingly, there is a lot of evidence to support the fact that he had Emperor Honorius massacre Pentecostal Donatists. So you, you have such what would seem to be a twisted idea of these theologians. Many of them were very um, hostile. The uh, pastor had mentioned uh, John Calvin, who had Michael Servetus, or Servetus burned at the stake. Here we also have another instance of St. Augustine, who is, according to Catholic uh, beliefs, he's a saint. They honor him that way. And he was behind the massacre of, of Pentecostal uh, Donatists. So what a strange thing. But, of course, the truth finds its way out. And it, it's taken some, some well-known, um, I should say well-studied uh, theologians to kind of dig this out, such as Marvin Arnold and, um, and others. So I don't know if that helps answer. Maybe you've got something to add to that. You know, you mentioned... Uh, I believe you mentioned Praxius and Sibelius and, and that. And from what I can tell, they were ministering somewhere in the 200s, okay? And in uh, William Calfont's book, Ancient Champions of Oneness, now he has a list of, of men that string together starting just after the days of the apostles. Um, 
men like Linus, Anacletus, Clement, uh, Evaristus, some of these were bishops even of Rome, and he brings them all the way up to 217, 222 in there, <clears throat> the last one being Callistus. Point being that Noetus and, and Praxius and these guys were not out on an island all alone having received some, some revelation that no one else had, but these were men that lived leading up to that period of time. And while we may not have this kind of list for the Dark Ages, but back here where there is literature more readily available, we do see an actual literal succession of, of bishops that believe, they all believe the oneness. They all, they all believed this truth. So that tells us a little bit that at least we can see from there, there, it, the, the truth wasn't blacked out. And I think it gives us a pattern that we can also look to for later. Absolutely. It'd be interesting if something such as the internet was in place throughout history because the amount of information that we'd be able to see from from in many different various subjects would be immense and it'd be very uh be very interesting for sure so lastly we're getting close to the end here but if we want to go and move we've talked a little bit about the dark periods and even given some resources which again we'll reference at the end of this show and in the uh notes um but if we want to talk a little bit about the beginning of the 1900s so so we've endured the dark ages um where there's been an immense persecution things like that to the church um and we're starting to we, we've come to america now and it's in america there's a revival of this apostolic message uh, we see that in azusa street um in topeka kansas which uh again we've referenced the last two weeks and we talked about this a little bit briefly but i really want to talk about this with pastor because i think that there's more that can be brought to it um so pastor if you want to kind of just give some your view of what azusa street was was it the um just a revival i say just a revival but was it just a revival or was this was it dead to this point and it's a complete out of the ashes that rises type of deal well there's a book another book by marvin arnold uh called pentecost before azusa uh, I, I like this book it's a it's an excellent book and he goes back in the history of events in somewhat in Europe and then on into the United States that shows that there was uh, churches and experience that was going on of people being filled with the Holy Ghost and believing in the oneness of God. I personally, my wife and I took a vacation. We went down in the Williamsburg area and there we went to, of course, that was one of the original Jamestown colony there. We went to the church, and they had it historically restored to like it was when it was built back then. And Acts 2.38 was one of the main scriptures that were there on the wall of that church. And so you had that. You had uh, oneness believers that were in during colonial times. Uh, some of the experiences back there that are described with with uh, you know, the preachers of the day, people were, were speaking in tongues. and they were, So, no, it didn't just come out of nowhere. Uh, 
But I think the question in Topeka was, God show us whether speaking in tongues is, necess- is a necessity. That was what they were trying to determine. And that was the answer in Topeka was when they started speaking in tongues was that it was a follow-up. And you can check my history on this. But it was a follow-up of God saying, this is what you need to have in order to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's probably a topic that could be its own series of podcasts in itself is the necessity of the Holy Ghost. Even, well, obviously, if it was necessary in Topeka, if it was necessary in the Bible, it's probably necessary now as well. Uh, as the only way it wouldn't be necessary is if we changed it. So um, as we kind of draw to a close here, I kind of want to summarize some of the topics that we went over. So, um, and one thing that I also want to add is this, is it's been mentioned throughout, um, but uh, some of this stuff that people come through, and I mentioned with the Hellenization stuff, and some of these ideas that were produced was through carnal thinking. Now, that's not to, that's not, and I don't say that in reference to the, just because the person, but because even us, if we go and we approach topics in the Bible through a carnal lens, what we're going to get out of the Bible is going to be carnal stuff. If we approach it through a spiritual lens, through, through prayer and fasting and a relationship with God, there'll be revelations, there'll be things that we never would have had the opportunity to see, um, except for that we were uh, studying in the Spirit. And so I think that's something really important for listeners as, as you study the Bible and as you maybe even study, maybe you're uh, compelled to do some research on these topics, is make sure that it's through prayer, make sure that it's through fasting, make sure that it's not just going purely through a carnal lens, um, for that. Um, and so we have seen um, some very important things. Um, God's people throughout the entire Bible has always been separate. It's always been distinct. We see it through the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. And that's part of the problems that we saw through the beginning after the Bible is that God's people were different. And the rulers at that time obviously didn't have some of the rules that are in place now and they could just kill whom they wanted. And so there was more intense persecution. And of course, we see that in modernized parts of the world, there's not that persecution now. But in other parts of the world, there's still that kind of persecution. We see that Christian history was deliberately destroyed. Um, so the Christian history as we know it is was deliberately destroyed. And Catholicism was even tried to incorrectly be called Christian, Christianity, um, probably trying to muddy the waters even further. Um, and so we saw that. Um, and then throughout, we see that there was a lot of, uh, oh, sorry, there was a lot of the Greek names of these one God believers. If you do some research on them, and this is coming from Brother or Marvin Arnold's books, if you do some research on them, you'll find that it stems from slander. So another tidbit that kind of shows that probably a little bit of credibility with them if the people around them are trying to tear them down. So throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and then throughout the world as we know it today, I believe that it is safe to say that God has had a church, has always had a church, and will always have a church. And I just want to be a part of that church. So in closing, is there anything that you want to add, Isaiah? Well, I would like to say in agreement with that, the church has been through a lot. Um, it's been through the fire, a song says, and it's been through the flood. 
It's also been through the Crusades, the Inquisition, and the attack on the Word of God to the point of banning the Bible, which was done by the Catholic Church. So the devil has tried many ways. He's, he's developed many schemes, and he's laid many snares, but God has always had a church. And it speaks to the words of Jesus Christ when he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, and indeed it has not. I know you mentioned also uh, in references that we could uh, maybe recommend, and I, I did reference a couple books. I would like to recommend, I have a book written by Glenn Davidson called The Development of the Trinity, and then I mentioned Pentecost Before Azusa by Marvin Arnold, and then William Calfont's Ancient Champions of Oneness. Another resource, if you can, in, in church history, anything that you can find that Steve Waldron, uh, sometimes YouTube, sometimes different, he has different resources he uses, but that is also a very good resource. Okay, very good point. I've seen, he does have good stuff on YouTube. Um, Isaiah, you got any good book recommendations? Well, I do. Um, the one that I recommend that people read, and this is to kind of understand uh, the heresy of the Trinitarian concept, is Against Praxius by Tertullian himself. I think that is, a, is an eye-opener, and it's very easy to find on the Internet. Um, and perhaps we'll, we'll make a link for that one as well. But another really good, uh, uh, another good book um, to add to what Pastor had said is After the Way Called Heresy by Thomas Weiser. Um, it's an incredible book, and he does an, an excellent job um, summarizing and simplifying uh, the church through the ages from the day of Pentecost up till today. Very good. Um, and another one um, that pertains more to the apostolic church history uh, would be Our God is One by Talmud French. I believe you can find that one online. All these books, some of the Marvin Arnold resources are very difficult to find, so we may not be able to supply links to those. But after the way called Heresy, the Development of the Trinity, uh, and some of Brother Waldron's things, um, we will be able to drop some links in the show notes or podcast notes. And another resource that I referenced a couple times was the Apostolic History Outline put together by uh, Marvin Arnold. So we'll reference that too. There's actually a PDF online that you're able to find um, that just goes over again like after the way called heresy. It just has a timeline and it parallels uh, some of the Catholic Church and different things like that along with the Apostolic Church. Well, I feel like this was a very interesting, enlightening podcast. A lot of material covered. Um, probably it would be a good idea if you're listening to this to go check out some of these resources because it is loaded with a lot of information in this episode and to help digest some of that. Um, take your time. Go through some of these re resources reference, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we'll do our best to answer your question or get you in touch with somebody that would do a great job of answering that question. Pastor, really appreciate you being on the episode this time. Really appreciate you taking time out to do that. Thank you very much. It's just been my pleasure, and I've enjoyed it. Good. And Isaiah, good to have another episode with you, hopefully the second of many. I'll be seeing you again. Thank you. For sure. 
All right, well, that's all for this episode. Um, again, um, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you.